Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So the title of my message tonight is From the Paddock to the Palace. From the Paddock to the Palace. And what do I mean by the paddock? So I first uh, started going over this thought in my mind about the paddock when I was reading the story of David. And the thing about David is we look back over his life and we see this amazing hero. We see the boy who killed Goliath. We see the man who became king and who founded a dynasty uh, of kings that lasted for centuries. We have a statue of David in the most beautiful place in the world, the Gold Coast. I think there may be one somewhere else as well. We have the Star of David still on the, uh, on the Israeli flag. David stands tall in history. But when you look at all the greatness of David and all of the great things that he did, it's easy to forget that he started his life in the paddock. We forget that he started just looking after sheep. And we begin to hear the story of David in the book of 1 Samuel. And the story starts with a guy called Samuel, who's a great prophet. He is a powerful man uh, in, in that nation of Israel. And he's also a strong critic of the current king, King Saul. And God had sent Samuel to Bethlehem to find and anoint the next king of Israel. And they'd narrowed the search down. It's, it's kind of like um, the voice or, or, you know, Australian idol or is Jewish idol. Don't use the word idol in church. <laughs> so they narrowed down the search to the family of Jesse of Bethlehem. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. And it says, When they, Jesse's family, arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed one stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. Oh, lost my spot. Apologize. He hasn't chosen yet. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse said, There is still the youngest. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And all the ladies said, Amen. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. See, David was the youngest of eight brothers. And as the youngest, he got the job of looking after the sheep. You see, I grew up as the youngest, the third of three. And <laughs> I always got the, the jobs like, you know, picking up the dog poop from the backyard or, uh, you know, washing the dishes. You know, things now I have to do as an adult so, and as a parent. Good preparation, I guess. 
So while his brothers were at school and they went to join the army, David was the one that was back looking after the sheep. And you see, looking after sheep now and looking after sheep you know, in David's time, a couple of thousand years ago, there's a big difference. So now we've got these massive paddocks um, and we have hundreds and hundreds of sheep that just live in there and farmers rarely go out to see these sheep. Um, they just trust that the fences are keeping them safe, keeping predators out and making sure that they don't wander off too far. But in David's time, they didn't have paddocks, they didn't have motorbikes to go and round up hundreds of sheep. So the farmer, the shepherd, had to keep his flock small and he had to keep them close to him. And what that meant was actually being with your sheep day in, day out, every day. He was looking after his sheep in, you know, he'd sleep there, he'd wake up, he'd eat, have breakfast, probably, you know, not grass with the sheep. He'd get up, he'd eat, he'd sleep. And every day, day in, day out, for months, maybe even years at a time, all alone, no one to talk to, life on repeat, life in the paddock. I think all of us can identify with this. It's a time like it's when in a season in our life where time appears to just be standing still. Like we've got Groundhog Day, that we're going in and doing cycles over and over, the same battles, the same arguments, day in, day out. And we can find ourselves in a paddock in so many areas. We can find ourselves in a paddock financially, having those same battles, you know, implementing a budget, but then all of a sudden, you know, the budget goes to mess when the kids need new school shoes or the car unexpectedly blows up or, you know. In our marriage, we come across the same arguments, the same battles. We can find our marriage and our relationship, relationship sometimes flat with no energy and we don't know how to break it. Even our relationships with our children can sometimes be like that. You see, for me, my paddock was my, in my area of work. And for eight years, I worked in the city. And so I would get up every morning, I'd catch the bus into the city and, uh, you know, you get up at six, well, I was, I'd get up about six and I'd aim to be out of the house by 6.50 because the bus comes at 6.58 and I know I have to be there about five minutes early or the bus will just keep going. And more often than not, you'd get to the bus stop and there's the bus, the back of the bus, just cruising down the road and you're shaking your fist at it. You'd catch the next bus, which they come every 15 minutes. You'd be the last person on the bus, so you have to stand at the front and hold on to the leather strappy thing, and as they go around the corner, you're swinging and swaying and trying not to fall on anyone. You would get to work, and you know, for those eight years, I was working in a, in a job that I didn't really enjoy. I was working for Telstra, and no one has a good time with Telstra. <laughs> I'd leave, I'd come home, I'd catch, catch the bus... I'd get home about 6, 6.30, put the kids to bed, have tea, go to sleep, get up in the morning, rush to the bus, see the bus driving off. It was day in, day out. Every single day was the same. Eight years of going into the city. And it's at those times when we're in those paddock experiences that we can live for the weekend. We can say, oh, I can't wait until Friday night and I'm going to kick back, I'm going to relax and I'm going to watch all of the catch-up on Survivor or whatever it is. Gilmore Girls, I guess it was at the time. <laughs> if only I can make it through to my holidays. What, you know, you have four weeks annual leave a year and you're always dreaming back of those times when we were at school and we'd get, you know, endless summer days where we'd just be so bored. Oh my goodness, to be bored again. <laughs> we'd aim for the holidays. If only I can get to my holidays, that's my goal, that's my milestone, that's what I'm aiming towards. 
But just living for the weekend and just living for the holidays, is, is it really living or is it just surviving? Is it just surviving? And God hasn't called us just to survive. He's called us to thrive. He didn't ask us, you know, Jesus came and he came to give us life and life in the full and not just on the weekends and not just on the holidays, but every single day of our life. And to not just survive, but to thrive and to live life to the full, not just in the mountaintop experiences. I believe there are three things that we can learn from David's life. Firstly, the promises that were made in your paddock. See, the thing about David's early life is there are a couple of really, really high moments. You know, the first one comes to mind where David was anointed as king. He's pulled out from the paddock. You can just picture this scene in his mind. He's pulled out from the paddock. He's pulled out in front of all of his brothers as the youngest and, you know, has oil drenched all over him, which I'm not sure if that's a great part, but I guess if you can catch it, you can reuse it. Only, only a guy would do that. He's pulled out of the paddock. He's anointed as king. And you can just picture him at that point in time. I mean, if you put yourself in, the, in, in his shoes, he's been in the paddock his whole life. Probably not when he was a baby, but he's been there his whole life, day in, day out, all alone, no one to talk to. And he's pulled out an anointed king of the nation of Israel. If David had an Instagram today, you could probably see it'd be a picture of him and Samuel, probably a selfie because that's what kids do these days. See a couple of hashtag kings, hashtags, king for days. <laughs> and what about that time when he killed Goliath? Uh, you know, you can picture him. He's come from the paddock and his dad has sent him to deliver some, you know, cheese and, and all sorts of supplies for his brothers who are in the army. And you can picture him, you know, getting there and he gets into this battle with Goliath. He kills the giant. And if he had an Instagram, you could just picture him, you know, with a shot of maybe Goliath's sword in his hand, that massive big sword with a couple of hashtags. Hashtag, did somebody say giant? Hashtag, too easy. Hashtag, them giants though. You see, David did great things in, the, in, in his time. He did amazing things in his, in his early years. He killed Goliath. Things that we talk about to this day. But, you know, when David was anointed king, he went back to the paddock. How demoralising for him to be anointed king and to be given this promise, but then to have to go back to the paddock. When he killed Goliath, he went back to the paddock. You see, David had a promise of the palace, but he was living with the sheep. And I'm sure that David felt frustrated. I'm sure that David felt that he was meant for more than this. And for us, you know, having, having the Bible that Ashley so eloquently explained, you know, and shared about this morning, we have the privilege of reading his story all in one sitting. I mean, you can sit and read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and read his story all in one sitting. But the thing for David in that moment right there and then is he had his promise of kingship and then he was back in the palace and at that point, uh, back at the paddock. And at that point, you could just stop it there, freeze frame and just imagine what's going through this guy's head. You know, I'm back in the palace. I've just been promised. I'm back in the paddock. I've just been promised the palace. Got my peas mixed up. Please forgive me. See, we look and we know, we can read ahead and we can see the next chapter and we can see that he becomes a great general in King Saul's army. But David didn't know that. But I believe with all my heart that David knew the promises that had been made to him and I believe that David remembered the vision that had been instilled in him. It's easy to be discouraged and think, is this all there is to life? Those eight years bussing in, bussing out, bussing in, bussing out. Is this all there is to life? 
You see, when I was a teenager, you know, I grew up in a Christian house and I went to so many youth camps, like a lot of youth camps all through my life. And the thing about youth camps is it's a really concentrated period of time that we don't actually do anymore as adults. Those concentrated periods of time where we put aside everything and we spend two or three days just engrossed in God's presence. And for me at the youth camp, just engrossed in God's presence, that's where God, I was prayed over, that's where I received God's promises for my life, that's where I received a vision for my life, that's where I became passionate about what I felt I was called to do. And I felt I was called to preach and to, to be a leader. And from that moment, I went forward and I, and I chased those dreams. I, went to, I left school. I went to Bible college. I did my two years at Bible college. And I came out with a you know, diploma in Christian leadership, which is fantastic. But then when I came out of Bible college, January 1st, my first day back, I was like, oh, okay, what's next? So... So for me and my story, I finished Bible college. This is me. I'm anointed. I'm called and I'm here for a purpose. And I started working, cutting grapes and picking grapes at a vineyard until I figured out that that was incredibly difficult. (laughs) So I ended up doing furniture removal. I did furniture removal for a couple of months. And again, that's really hard work. You have to do a lot of heavy lifting, literally. So then I ended up at McDonald's. I did McDonald's for three months. And that's after McDonald's, I ended up at Telstra for four years. And when I look back at my time at Telstra, I just remember every day, it was something that I really, really did not enjoy. I was bussing in and out of the city, and in that moment, I was really discouraged. I could get that, you know, I wasn't super discouraged, but I had that opportunity right there and then to say, this is the vision, this is the plan, this is the dream that you gave me, God. What am I doing here on the bus at 7am or waiting at the bus stop because it's driven off? You see... Mountaintop experiences, camp experiences, and being passionate about God are all amazing things. It's at that time that we would do anything for God. It's where God gives us promises and God gives us visions. But it's amazing how quickly the responsibilities of life settle in. It's amazing how quickly you remember that there's bills to pay, that I do have to work every day. And you've got this... This balancing act, on one hand, you've got God's call and God's promise. And then on the other hand, you've got this need to be able to provide for your family and to be able to fulfill all the requirements that are in there. And I believe that there are people here tonight who God has spoken a word to in the past, who God has called in the past, who God has made promises to in the past, promises of a strong, healthy marriage, promises of strong relationships with your children, promises in your work life, promises in your ministry and promises in your finances. And now you feel like you're in the paddock, like you've been forgotten about, like you're all alone. And maybe those dreams will never come to pass. But I believe God's saying it's time. It's time to remember those promises that seem long forgotten. It's time to recall the dreams that God placed in your heart and your youth. It's time to reignite the passion that was once so alive in you. If you feel you're in a paddock in any area of your life, begin to remember those promises, recall those promises, and reignite your passion for God and for those things. Begin to dream again. So to thrive in your paddock, I believe we need to remember the promises, but I also believe we need to use the paddock for our preparation for our palace. So you know the reason why God chose David, and we read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab 
and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the panic is where David was prepared for the work that God had called him to do. The paddock is where David became close to God, worshipped God, and the paddock is where David's heart was prepared. See, for me, in my four years working at Telstra, and then I went on to work for four years in World Vision, as I have already said, amongst a couple of other jobs, it's easy for me to have been discouraged. In my youth, I was so passionate, and this I'd been called to preach, I'd been called to do so many big things, and I felt God had placed them on my heart, and it was easy for me to be discouraged, and I did get discouraged at times. But looking back, I'm not sure if I would change my journey. See, I hated the call centre. I hated the, the rostering and the routines and the fact that I, you know, if I was a minute late, I would be penalised. I hated the fact that they only had international roast coffee to give me. <laughs> the repetition and the mundane is, can be soul-destroying. But in the call centre, I learnt things and God showed me things. I learnt the importance of routine. I learnt the importance of reliability. I learnt the importance of discipline. And most of all, I learnt the importance of loving people and being able to work with a wide range of people. See, these are the disciplines that I learnt that would carry me through to my next chapter. You see, I don't believe David enjoyed being a shepherd. I think he probably hated the paddock. He was a man of action. But David had to spend time in the paddock to learn how to kill the lion. And David had, to learn to spend, David had to spend time in the paddock to learn to kill the bear because he had a Goliath, he had a giant that he had to face that he had to know how to kill. He had to spend time ruling over sheep in preparation for ruling over a kingdom. David had to be prepared in the paddock before he could get to the palace. See, I don't know what your paddock might be today, but what I know is that for my paddock, I learned a lot of things. And it's a question that we can ask ourselves. What is it that you're learning in your paddock season today that you can carry through to your next chapter? That you can carry through to your giant, through to your Goliath, and through to your next season? I don't believe that we should waste our paddock experience holding out for the weekend or the holidays. But what are we doing now to prepare ourselves for the next season? See, I love the story of the Karate Kid. Any Karate Kid fans here? See, the Karate Kid, the main star of the Karate Kid is daniel Sun. So daniel Sun is his lost teenager. He moves, moves cities with his mum and he ends up befriending a friendly old guy called Mr. Miyagi. So daniel Sun and Mr. Miyagi and daniel Sun sees Mr. Miyagi doing some karate and uh, Mr. Miyagi promises to teach daniel Sun all about karate. So Daniel comes to Mr. Miyagi's place and the first thing that Daniel is doing for, in his practice to become a great karate expert is painting the fence. Painting the fence. And he does this for days on end, painting the fence, painting the fence, painting the fence. So when that's done, the next thing he does, and we all know it, is wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. And he waxes Mr. Miyagi's not one, but two, but I think there were three cars that he had there. Wax on, wax off, day in, day out. And Daniel finally flips. He says, what has this got to do with karate? And then Mr. Miyagi goes to karate chop him. Yeah. And with his muscle memory that he's learned, he swipes away the hit. And it's only then 
that we begin to realise and begin to see the reason for all of that wax on, wax off. See, Daniel, uh, Daniel at the time, he couldn't tell it, but he was actually being taught the karate skills that he needed for the fight that he was about to face. We need to use our paddock wisely to set up disciplines that will carry us through to our next chapter. Spiritual disciplines, praying, reading the Bible, getting to know God, not just about Him. Physical disciplines, knowing your body, learn what drains and what fills your tank. Especially in my season at World Vision, um, I had to learn quickly what was draining my tank and what was filling my tank. Because if we don't learn how to fill our tank, and I'm talking about our emotional tank, our stress levels and everything like that, then we can head towards burnout. What fills your tank? What drains your tank? Get to know physical disciplines. Create routines and boundaries. How we use our paddock experience is so important. In our paddock season, it's important to remember the promises of God in your life. It's an important time to prepare for our next chapter. But the most important thing we can do in our paddock is to pursue God. You see, David, as I said, he went from being anointed king back to the paddock. He went from killing Goliath back to the paddock. And it's easy at that moment for David to feel alone because physically he was alone. There was no one around him but probably a hundred or so dumb sheep. And we know that sheep are dumb. Amen? (laughs) Sheep will just follow anyone. David was all alone. But he may have felt alone, but he wasn't alone. God was with him and God was watching and God was seeing everything that he was doing. And that's why God calls David a man after his own heart because David knew God and God knew David. See, the goal for David wasn't to kill Goliath. The goal for David wasn't to become king. The goal is to know God. And everything else is a byproduct. Everything else is a prize. The palace is a prize. The primary thing that we've got to do in our life, the primary reason we exist is to know God. Healthy finances aren't the goal. A healthy marriage isn't the goal. Both are really nice and something that we should attain to. But they're a byproduct, but they can't replace the goal. The dream is never the goal. The dream is a, is a destination, but not the destination. Today's dream becomes tomorrow's past when you achieve it. As I said already, I felt like I'd been called to preach and that was the Word of God that was placed on my life. And here I am preaching today. But six months ago, I was serving in kids' ministry. Six months ago, I was here on a Sunday morning at 8.45 attending a primary team meeting, maybe 8.47. (laughs) I was looking after kids. I was scrubbing toilets. I was vacuuming the floor. Because even though I felt called to preach, my primary purpose was to know God. And at that time, I felt like whatever it is that I put my hands to, I'll give it my best. I'll put my best into whatever it is. See, one of our six cultural uh, statements that we've got as a church is excellence. And I really take that to heart. I think that whatever we've been called to, whatever we've been asked to do, we do it with all of our heart. You see, we may have been called to a palace, but there's stops along the way. There may have been promises that God has placed in your life, but there's stops along the way where we have to learn skills, we have to learn abilities, we have to have our heart shaped so that we're ready for the palace. You see, if I didn't spend time scrubbing kids' toilets, I'm not sure if I'd have my heart in the right place to be up here sharing with you tonight. Don't wait until we get to the palace to start acting. 
See, action doesn't start when you get to the palace. I like what Paul Scanlon says. Paul Scanlon shares it this way. When you punch in an address in your GPS system, say, for example, you're going to Port Augusta, you're driving up the highway, the, the, GPS, the GPS is quiet. There's no American voice telling you to turn left in 100 metres. It's all quiet. Every now and then it will come on and say, keep going. You're going the right direction. And it's not until you get close to your destination that the GPS actually starts giving you a whole heap of instructions, giving you a whole heap of clues about where you've got to actually be. And that's the way it is for us in our life. We may have been called to a palace and we may feel like we're in a paddock, but that paddock is all part of the journey. And we don't want to forget about the journey and neglect the journey just because we're so focused on the destination. The goal is to know Christ. Paul says, what I once thought was valuable, I now consider worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. When we make the goal to know Christ, we understand that the palace isn't an event, but the palace is knowing Christ. Then no matter what season we're in, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley or whether we're in the paddock, we can find peace and we can lift our hands and we can sing. Not just on Sundays, but on the bus to work. Not just when we win the promotion, but also when we're made redundant. Not just when our marriage is, all, is doing well, but when our marriage is falling apart. And if I can have the band up, that would be great. You see, God is the God of every season. He's the God of your mountaintop. He's the God of your valley. And we quite often focus on purpose in your pain. And this church has experienced a lot of pain in 2016. God will teach us things through the pain. God will teach us things in the mountaintop. But it's in the paddock that we spend most of our life. Very often do we spend more than a short amount of time in the valley and on the mountaintop. But the paddock is where we spend our life. And God is the God of your paddock. Sometimes we can feel like, is this all there is to life? The paddock is a place where we can feel alone, where we can feel forgotten about. And I know there are people here tonight that God has given you a vision of the palace and you feel like you're stuck in a paddock. And I believe it's time to remember. It's time to remember that vision for your finances. It's time to remember that vision for your family. It's time to remember that vision for your marriage. It's time to remember that vision for your career. You may be in a paddock today, but your palace is coming and we need to be ready. Remember the promises and vision. Prepare your heart and pursue God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.